You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Yelverton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Small groups changed my life. They really did. I, I grew up going to church. My family loved Jesus. Uh, I felt like I was always really wrestling with the, the spiritual highs of, uh, of trying to follow Jesus, you know, every day of my life. Like I would have these great moments on Sunday morning or whenever I was going to youth group or something like that growing up. And then the days kind of in between, there would be just a ton of spiritual lows and I would feel really disappointed about, you know, where I was, uh, where my walk was. I felt like I was always like disappointing God. And um, it just got to the point where I just didn't want to have to deal with that personal disappointment anymore. And so I just kind of turned away from church altogether. And it wasn't until, gosh, I was, yeah, like 26 years old, 27 years old, that God just got a hold of my heart and I got connected into a small group. Uh, they just changed my life. My name is Daniel Yelverton. I am the discipleship pastor at Elevation Community Church in Blanchester. For me, that was the thing that facilitated so much change in my life. And, and we believe that here at Elevation. We believe that you grow best in the context of community, that when you are around people that love Jesus uh, and are committed to follow Jesus and are committed to help you in the process, that you end up staying closer to Jesus and closer to the, uh, the design that God had for the church. The uniqueness of Elevation Community Church is that we already have just a wonderful community of people that love Jesus. And, and so when you get that uh, great people together that want to follow Jesus and love Jesus, and then you you give them the opportunity to do that on a weekly basis, you just see great uh, life change. Uh, we've, we have so many stories of marriages changed, of uh, of financial situations changed. And a lot of it has happened when people have gotten connected to the body of Christ. And, and so at Elevation, uh, that's what we want to see. And that's, uh, that's where we want everybody to be connected in groups. We want everybody to experience uh, some of the things that I've experienced, some of the things that countless others have experienced within the context of groups. We want people to be known and loved and that's our goal at Elevation, that you would get connected to Christ, that you would get uh, connected to His community, connected to a, a flawed group of people that love Jesus and that love people, and that we would uh, all grow together to become more and more like Jesus because that's when real life change happens. That's when marriages change. That when, that's when communities change. That's when the individuals change. Uh, when you give Jesus the space to do that and you put yourself in a community where people want to see that happen in your life. What I hope is that through the community groups, through small groups, that people would begin to see the change and the transformation that happens when you follow Jesus. They would see that in the lives of the people outside of the church. That to see the church, they wouldn't have to necessarily come to Elevation Community Church. They would just encounter their neighbor. That to me would be what I would love to see happen through us. And, and that's just a move of God happening in people that just say yes to following Jesus and helping others do the same. And, and so that's my God-sized dream. That this community would change forever because 
there was somebody who was neighbors with somebody else who loved Jesus and that neighbor cared so much about them that they passionately and sacrificially loved them just like Jesus does. Well, welcome to Elevation Community Church. Uh, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and that's a pretty handsome fellow that we've been watching there. So, um, uh, yeah, we are, we're starting our small group season. Uh, so coming up next Sunday is going to be the beginning of the first week, and we do 10-week small group seasons where we want to get everyone connected to the body of Christ, to community, because we do believe that, and I've experienced it, that I have grown best, and that we have grown best in the context of community. God designed the body to work that way, to be connected to one another. And so if you're not connected in a small group, if you haven't been connected, uh, definitely uh, we have signups that are going to go out. Brian, do you mind just passing those out real quick? Uh, and so we're going to have signups that you can fill those out, but also you can get connected on our church app. If you go to Church Center on your app store, go ahead and download the app. I promise we won't judge you for opening up your phones in church. So go ahead, download the app, and then if you click on Find Elevation Community Church, and then click on groups, and you'll see all of the categories, all of the different groups that we have available uh, to you all during this 10-week small group season. So we hope that you'll get connected. And this morning, uh, so my brother-in-law, he is an amazing uh, video design. He does all the cinematography. He did all of that. Uh, he uh, likes to send outtakes, and so we have an extra little video to kind of go along with that one. I am the discipleship pastor at Elevation Community Church in Blanchester. <laughs> so that's me. Um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff you encounter here at Elevation Community Church. Well, uh, welcome. If you are a first-time guest, we're so glad that you joined us uh, this morning. Uh, you kind of dropping into the middle of our study of James. James has got five chapters, and we're in chapter three today. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bible to James chapter three, whether that's physical Bible, turning on your phone, whatever that looks like. Uh, so we're going to be hanging around there. It's 18 verses, so it's not too long. Uh, but the reason why we wanted to study the book of James is that uh, the first series we did this year it was uh, called Awakening, and we wanted to awake to the kingdom of God, to the move of God, to what God was doing in our community, in our surrounding area. And the way we wanted to do that is we wanted to first be able to see how God is moving, see how God is working. And then the second thing we wanted to look at is, is hearing. Uh, what does it look like to hear what God is saying and then respond? And then as we respond, what does that look like in our life? What does it look like when we start acting within the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates? And then finally, we want to grow up to become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the, that's the whole reason why church gets together and why we pour into each other because we want to equip each other to become more and more like Christ. And so it kind of made sense to naturally go to the book of James Right, and because James is, it's like the New Testament version of Proverbs. It's it's full of practical wisdom. It's full of taking 
the knowledge that God has given us, whether it's in scriptures, whether it's uh, the knowledge that he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, whether it's around the community of believers that we have, how he's speaking to you, it gives us knowledge, but it also gives us ways to apply that knowledge. And so that would be kind of the differentiating factor between knowledge and wisdom. See, knowledge is, is just knowing things, right? But wisdom is understanding how you can apply it to your life. And so the first two chapters, if you've missed it, you can go back, check out our YouTube, uh, or you can go uh, download uh, our sermons on the iTunes or on uh, SoundCloud. But we, we talked about uh, how do we take God's view when it comes to suffering? When the situations that we're going through right now doesn't seem to make sense, how can we uh, shift our perspective and see how God is working through the suffering that we're going through. And then uh, last week, uh, Pastor Phil talked about how a faith without works is dormant, it's dead. That faith is meant to be in action. It's meant to be activated. It's meant to be uh, shown by the way you live. And, and faith, a lot of times we'll just use it as a noun, but it's, it's actually a verb, as James is trying to tell us here. And so chapter three is kind of picking up that thread and that thought of what it looks like to apply our faith in a way that uh, shows good deeds. And and James gives us two areas to look at this week. And so I want us to kind of look at these areas and see, all right, how is God speaking to us in these areas in our life? And what would it look like if we applied the wisdom that God is giving us through the book of James? And so the two areas we're going to look at today is is what we say and, and how we think, which ultimately affects how we live. So I'm gonna pray over our time and then we're gonna get rolling. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for everyone here, for the individuals here, the families represented here. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless them. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. We need to hear your words. Give us the strength and the courage to take it from our head to our heart to our hands where we can apply what you're speaking to our lives and God, where we can impact the people around us, the people we work with, our families, our communities because we are completely surrendered to your plan and purpose for our life. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're just going to dive right in into James 3. And so James 3, verses 1 and 2, he talks about controlling our tongue. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should be teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Oh, I guess that applies to me, right? Well, maybe, maybe I'll just step off the stage for a little bit and you guys can all go home. Um, no, it's... James is, is telling us here that, that those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. Now, I think what, uh, there is a misconception that we make a decision to follow Jesus. You know, we pray the sinner's prayer. We ask Jesus into our heart. And then I think there's a lie perpetuated by the enemy that what we do after that doesn't really matter. Right? We're heading to heaven. We got the golden ticket. We're good, Right? We don't need to worry about everything else. But, but James is saying here that this is teachers to the church that they're gonna be judged at a different standard. 
And there's other scriptures that are complementary to this, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we could really unpack this. But I think it's important for us to know that what we do with our life matters. The choices that we make matter, and that if we are given more, then more is required of us. What's the great line from uh, what Peter Parker's uncle, right? With great, uh, great power comes great responsibility, right? Right? And, and so I think that a lot of times we'll just see this as just like, okay, this is just applies to the teachers in the church, right? But what's interesting is, is that your voice and who you speak to and influence matters. And I think in a culture right now where we all have a voice in some form or fashion, right? Social media has all given us a voice and we get followers, and we get likes, and we get comments, and we get people that are paying attention to what we say. And I think if we pull this little principle out here, that what we say matters. And what we say we're going to be accountable to by the influence that we have on other people. So we need to be careful sometimes when we want to get more likes on Instagram or Facebook and we want to get more fame, and we want to get more attention from other people because with that great power and responsi- comes responsibility. We will have to give an account. It even says this in Matthew 12. It says that, that we'll have to give an account for every single idle word that we say. That's sobering. And so what James is trying to tell us here is that what we say matters. And he's talking about the teachers of the church, but I think we can pull this principle out because he carries on and he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. That's obvious. We all have issues, right? For if we, but for if we could control our tongues, just in verse two, we would be perfect and we could control ourselves in every other way. So James is drawing special attention to the tongue, to what we say. And if we are able to control our tongue, that it affects more than just our speech. It affects our entire body. So what we say matters, and our words are very powerful. Now, When James says you will be perfect in here, he's not talking about being flawless, right? Because he literally just says right above that, we indeed, we all make mistakes, right? So when he's saying perfect here, he's actually saying perfect, he says it seven different times in the book of James. Seven is a significant number, but what he's saying here is that it's not about perfection and flawlessness. It's about being equipped for what you're supposed to do, equipped for the job at hand, and also translate as wholeness, You see, we often live very fractured lives. We live with fractured morality. We live with fractured standards where we will hold somebody to one standard but not ourselves to another. That we think it's okay to lie to somebody but we don't like when we're lied to. That, and so there's an inconsistency, inconsistency, sorry here. There's inconsistency when it comes to our morality, to our values. And James is saying that if we have the ability to control our tongue, that we can bring more wholeness to our life. So the tongue is indeed 
powerful, and so are our words. Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And you've all heard the story, or you've all heard the nursery, nursery rhyme or whatever the rhyme is, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? I think we can all agree that that's not true at all. If anything, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words have a place, they go to a place that sticks and stones can't go. They go into your soul and they go into your heart. And even like knowing that the words are so powerful, we even see it in the way that God created and, and made us in his image. Think about how God created everything that we see in the Genesis account, right? What did he do? He spoke. He spoke it into existence. So with his words, he created. He gave life. He gave breath to all that breathed into humanity. And even though we're not God, we are his image bearers. And so with the, since God has created us to be like him, he's given us the ability to do the same thing with our words. We have the ability to create. We have the ability to build. Words are powerful enough, they, they, they build our self-image. Think about that, right? The way you view yourself is an accumulation of what people have told you. People that love you or said they loved you. People that are significant or have influence in your life. Our self-image has been an accumulation of what people have told us. I think about when Jesus got baptized, right? As soon as he came out, the dove came down, and God spoke identity and self-image into Jesus when he said, you are my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. God spoke that into Jesus. So if if speech is so powerful and it has the ability to almost uh, uh, change our entire trajectory of our life, what does it look like then to, to speak in a manner that God has designed us to, to speak in the way that Christ speaks? And Paul lays it out very simply in Ephesians 4.15. He says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ. So Christ was able to speak truth in love. You were able to see that in all, in so many of his interactions. I think about the woman caught in adultery, right? He, he rescues her, right? He is, he, he saves her from her accusers, but he still speaks truth to her. He says, your life, you're heading in the wrong direction. Don't, don't keep, don't keep going into this emptiness. Don't sin anymore. Right? And so Jesus is, is the embodiment of grace and truth. And if we want to live our lives, we need to model our speech by the way, but modeled it in characteristic by grace and truth and truth and love. And so what I want to do is kind of talk about what it looks like when it's not that, right? So what does it look like when we speak love without truth? The ironic thing is that it's not actually love. If love doesn't have truth, it's not really love. Because when uh, when we don't tell the truth, we inevitably lie to somebody, right? 
And you know what lies do at their core? They distort the reality of the person we are lying to. So they can't live wisely, they can't live safely, and they live in a reality that we have created through our lives. Going back to the power of our words that we have the ability to create, we literally have the ability to create a false reality that the person that we are lying to is believing because they think that these things are actually happening. Now, is that loving at all to them? If we're not giving somebody the facts or telling them something they need to know, they're literally flying blind. So speaking love without truth is literally you're exploiting people for your own gain. Even think about how the enemy operates, right? The enemy is the father of lies. And so when he speaks to you, when he speaks to us, he tries to distort our reality so that we will live in a way that's not wise. We will live in a false reality. We'll live with blinders on, not realizing what's really going on around us. What if we, but what if we speak unlovingly? Meaning, what if we speak the truth, but we do it without love? What's funny, or ironic, I should say, is that if we speak love without truth, it's not love. And if we speak truth without love, it's not actually truth. Here's what I mean by that. When you are trying to speak truth to somebody, the goal is to eventually get to that person to recognize the truth so that they'll realize that, oh man, I need, to, I need to shift the way I live my life. We've all done this, right? We've all seen where somebody's maybe heading in the wrong direction and we wanna say, hey, you need to do this. You need to head in the other direction. This is not gonna go the way you plan or want it to go. But if we speak truth without love, the opposite thing happens. Truth doesn't reign, right? It actually creates distance between us and the other person. You've seen this before, right? When you've tried to speak truth, but you've done it in an unloving manner, ill-timed, or you've done it with the idea that you want your truth to win and not the person to win. What happens? You get more entrenched. The divide gets greater between you all. I mean, let's just think about Facebook, right? Who all has won an argument on Facebook that's actually worked, right? Have we ever convinced somebody of something else No, what it does is just entrenches us even further. It creates a greater divide between each other because what we're doing is we're trying to have truth win, we're trying to have the argument win, and we don't care about the relationship. You see, when we fight for the person, we will speak truth, but we will speak it in a way that shows love. And I don't mean to rustle our feathers a little bit, but can I say that followers of Jesus and Christians were pretty notorious for this? You know, we'll speak the truth and we'll defend our beliefs and, and I know that that is so important. I'm not saying we don't ever need to do that. But when we do it without love, we entrench somebody further away from the love of Jesus. We create a gap between them. We solidify some sort of confirmation bias in them because we have done it in an unloving manner. We've done our duty by speaking truth, but we've had the opposite effect. We've hindered the good news and the love of Jesus from reaching that person changing their heart. Think about the way God pursued us. It says this in Romans 2, 4. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does that mean nothing to you? 
Can't you see that his kindness was intended to turn you from your sin or turn you to repentance? God used kindness to draw you to himself. He used his love to draw you to repentance. And so when we speak truth without love, truth is not winning. If anything, we're winning our argument and we walk away feeling like we're right, but we've missed the person. So truth, so, so speaking truth without love is not truth and, and love without truth isn't actually love. We need both to be a blessing. We need both to bring life. So if James is saying that if we control our tongues, we will be perfect and able to control ourselves in every way, I think the natural question is to ask, okay, well then, how do we do that? Like, how do we control our tongues? The first thing I want us to look at, and James is brilliant in his imagery, and he asks us this question basically, who is steering your words? In James 3, verses three, he says, we can make a large horse go wherever uh, it, we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a ship turn wherever the pilot wants to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. So the tongue, even though it's small, has the ability to steer more than just its size. It has the ability to steer our lives, steer our relationships, steer the influence that we have. But you know what's really interesting about that analogy of the bridle in the horse's mouth and the rudder in the ship is that both of those require somebody at the reins. Both of those require somebody at the wheel of the ship. And so who is steering your words? Who is the one that's in control of your speech? Is it you? How's that working? Is it the other things that are boiling up in you that are influencing your speech, that are in control of the ship captain's wheel, in control of the reins? Maybe this might be an opportunity for you to give that control over to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says that all that are led by the Holy Spirit are children of God. And so I want you to ask yourself a simple question. Who is steering my words? Is, is, are my words reflecting more what the Holy Spirit would say? Or are my words reflecting more what I would say or what's warring inside me say? I've started saying this simple prayer every morning and you can join me if you want. There's nothing really super spectacular about it, but I keep praying this. I pray, Holy Spirit, I wanna be led and fed by you today. I just wanna be led by you. Show me what you would want me to do. Show me how to speak. All right, so who is steering your words? The second thing that James points out is that the issue might be deeper than just your speech. It might be your words. James will go on right here in verse eight. So we'll pick up in uh, verse eight. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord, our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing can come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble up both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. 
James pulls back so much from Jesus' teaching and from Proverbs, and he pulls this from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 12, uh, verses 33 and 35. It says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, the fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. And he's talking to the Pharisees, so he says, you brood of snakes, how, can, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever's in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. When he's talking about producing, when it says it's like what de- what, uh, from what is in your heart determines what you say, it's like a boiling over. It's a bubbling over. So whatever is in your heart is kind of pouring out through your speech. And James is saying, we can't have this contradictory nature in our speech. We can't say these things, but then say we, we live for God, that we love God, but we hate our brothers, First John 4 would say. So we can't have this contradictory speech. So if that's going on in your situation, maybe the issue is deeper than just your tongue. Maybe there's something going on inside you that's bubbling up. Maybe you have bitterness or unforgiveness that is hindering your relationships and that poison is kind of spilling out in what you say. Maybe you have pride or you, you want to achieve personal success or that you want the praise of people. And so from that spring in your heart will boil up and bubble up the things that you say. So mind your speech and think of it sometimes like a smoke to a flame, that it's drawing down to some sort of fire And I've heard it said that the fire is on the altar of whatever you worship, right? Maybe there's something in your heart, an idol or something that your speech is pouring out of that is controlling you. If you missed it last week, uh, Pastor Phil talking about speech, I thought it was really funny. It's it's funny how we make mistakes, right? But uh, he said that if you want to sacrifice your idol, just like Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac, he sacrificed him from the throne in his heart. Now, Pastor Phil said we will sacrifice our elders, so we're not going to hold him to it just yet, guys. Just a heads up. Yeah, But, but what we say matters, So what fruit is your speech producing? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? And I think there's times when the the good fruit will show or the bad fruit will show and we'll think maybe that's just a one-time thing. But if it's continually showing up, it might be an issue with the tree and not an issue with the fruit. What about social media? What fruit are you getting from your posts? Is it life or death? Is it blessing or cursing? So we must speak the truth in love. That we must, we must allow the Holy Spirit to steer our words so that we can speak life and speak blessing because our words are powerful. Our words have the ability to give life. Our words have the ability to create. Our words have the ability to shape not only the way we view ourselves, but how others view themselves. Our words are part of our representative to Jesus to this world. 
And so our faith is shown by our good deeds. And our love for Jesus is shown by how we speak. Not necessarily that we just have our faith and we're good and we don't have to worry about the things that we say. All right, so controlling the tongue is the first thing that James talks about. James talks about us to us in application to faith uh, seen in its good works. And the second thing I want us to look at is how we live our lives. So James starts talking about wisdom, and he, and he gives us two different comparisons of wisdom. He gives us earthly wisdom, and he gives us heavenly wisdom. And like I said earlier, that, that knowledge is, only gets you so far. Understanding only gets you so far. And James would even tell us in James 1, he says, you can't just be hearers of the word. You can't be hearers of the scriptures. You can't be hearers of, of just hearers of what the Holy Spirit is saying, what the community of believers is saying to your life. You have to be doers. You have to apply it to your life. And when you do that, you gain wisdom when you begin to apply the knowledge that you've been given. Listen, I can know all day long that I'm supposed to look both ways before I cross the street, but if I don't actually apply it to my life, it does me no good, right? And so, so knowledge and wisdom have this relationship with each other, and so what we think matters, because what we think will determine our actions and how we live. So James says this in verse 13, if you are wise in understanding God's ways, and understand God's ways, Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by, listen, correlating how you speak with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, is also peace-loving and gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruits of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant the seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of righteousness." All right, so that's a lot. And so I want to just kind of break that down and start unpacking that. And so James is giving us two different types of wisdom. He's giving us earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And he's giving us um, qualities and characteristics of either of these wisdom. And, and I want this time to be more of a reflective time of, of seeing, okay, is my life more lining up to where I'm living out of the, and operating out of earthly wisdom or am I living and operating out of heavenly wisdom? Because that's where you'll see what you think, how you think actually comes to fruition. So earthly wisdom, start in verse 14, it's bitterly jealous and selfish ambition in your heart. Verse 15, for jealousy and selfish ambition are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder of every kind. So the two things that we see that Earthly wisdom is bitterly jealous or bitterly envious and has selfish ambition. Now, what's interesting is that, like, I was thinking, I feel like it could be more, right? I feel like earthly wisdom should have a little bit more qualities than just those two. I don't know if James is kind of hitting all of the, the hot points of 
earthly wisdom. But when I started thinking, though, about Jesus' teaching, when the, uh, when the lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks him, hey, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? What does Jesus say? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which comes from Deuteronomy, and you will love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Leviticus. You know what's interesting is that if you have selfish ambition, it is impossible to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you have to be number one, if you want control of your life, if you want things on your terms, if you don't want to listen to what God has said to you, and you think that you know better, then you can't truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And so that, that's earthly wisdom, and, and I can say from experience that when I said the terminology in my heart and in my mind that I know better than you, God, and I'm going to live my own life, literally every single evil started pouring out of the way I lived because I was living and operating from earthly wisdom. Second thing, it's also impossible for you to actually love people when you are bitterly jealous. When you want what they have, when you envy their lives, when you want what they have to fall apart, when you want people who have hurt you to lose their happiness because, and you have become bitter and you can't forgive them, that is, you are jealous of their happiness. If all the law and the prophets hangs on love God and love people, then it would kind of make sense that all evil would hang on the opposite of those things, right? And sometimes, though, it's hard to detect when we have, when we're following in alignment with earthly wisdom. And so James gives us three different characteristics of earthly wisdom. Those are the qualities, was bitterly jealous and selfish ambition. But then he gives us three different characteristics. First is earthly. Now, this type of wisdom focuses only on our life. It's a life that says, I've got to get everything now, and I can't focus on what's coming down the road. It's a wisdom that produces worry and fear because we only have one life, and we have to live it up. And if we see somebody else outliving us, then we're driven to worry. We're driven to jealousy. We're driven to make terrible choices based on the earthly wisdom that we're allowing to, live, to dictate our life. Earthly wisdom, when you think only of this world, you will not be generous. Because money is the source of your happiness, it's the source of you getting what you need in this life, and you can't exchange it to benefit somebody else because you need it for yourself. It's a wisdom that competes with others for status. It steps over others for achievement, and it hates God for the bad things that happen to you in your life because you're blinded to the immeasurable riches that are ahead of you in heaven. It's the type of wisdom that when somebody gets a billion dollars in the bank and on their way to the bank get a flat tire and they're angry and mad and they're kicking the tire and they're so upset that they got a flat tire when they don't even have the perspective to see that they, got, they could walk and skip to the bank and get their billion dollars, but they're focused on their tire. The second quality of earthly wisdom is that it's unspiritual. The best way that I can describe this is that this is wisdom that doesn't believe that life is connected, that it doesn't believe that your choices are connected and that your choices affect other people. This is the type of wisdom that says sex is just physical. 
and porn isn't hurting anyone. This is the type of wisdom that the choices that you make are not going to affect your children or that you can quit at any time. Unspiritual wisdom focuses on our desires. What feels good now and what makes me happy? That's the most important thing. Because if, well, if I do what's happy, then that's going to be my best choice. That's going to be my best life. And this wisdom destroys relationships because the lie that you have given that your choices that you're making now will not become your future. That affects other people. That won't affect me. Man, I see, I've seen people go down that road, but I'm different. My choices aren't connected. See, earthly wisdom, this earthly type of wisdom that's unspiritual believes that life is, dis, is made up of disconnected choices and what you're doing right now won't affect your future and that you won't reap what you plan. The last thing that we see is it's demonic. And let's be honest, that feels like a little intense, right? Like James is like taking like a real intense turn here when he's saying it's demonic. But I want us to think a little bit about Satan's characteristics when he rebelled. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 said, Oh, you are fallen from heaven. This is talking about Satan. Oh, shining star, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to earth and you, uh, you destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heavens and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Satan embodies the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition of I, I, I. And you see, he's at work in this world. And he wants us, as followers of Jesus, he wants us to align to his thinking and to his wisdom so that we will live earthly wisdom and work alongside him and promote his kingdom. I know it sounds extreme when we say it that way, but that's literally what's at stake I mean, think about in Matthew 16 when Peter makes this declaration, hey, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes, that is awesome. On, my, on that declaration, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell aren't gonna stand against it. And so Peter's like, whoa, yeah, I'm rock now. I'm Peter. He changed my name because I said that. And so he's super psyched. And then <clears throat> the very next scene, Jesus is saying, hey, but just so you know, the son of man, which is, he's talking about himself, I'm gonna have to go and die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside with his newfound uh, rockness, and he says, hey, Jesus, no, you're not going to do that. And he rebukes Jesus. You know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know what God is doing. You don't understand his wisdom. And Peter's not Satan, but what, what Peter's doing is he's aligning himself, his wisdom, to the wisdom of our enemy, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 18 and 20. And I love this scripture. He says, and I've told you this often before, and I say it with tears in my eye. There are many, this is talking about believers, whose conduct really shows that they are enemies of the cross. Go to the next one. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about their life here on earth, just what James was talking about here. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for our Savior. <clears throat> so if that's what earthly wisdom looks like, what does is, what is heavenly wisdom, heavenly wisdom look like? 
And I'm going to list out all the things that James talks about us here. And I'm just going to ask us a few questions. And the reason I'm asking you these questions is I want them to be introspective. I want you to think about what these questions mean and begin to reflect on your life and think, do I follow kind of more in line with heavenly wisdom or am I following more in line with earthly wisdom? And, and I think the Holy Spirit is giving us an opportunity if this is the case. If we experience some conviction from these questions, that's okay. This is not a place where you need to feel condemned. If anything, that's a great thing because that's an opportunity for you to make a choice then of saying, I'm gonna align myself to heavenly wisdom. I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna throw away this earthly wisdom. And so here are nine different qualities that we see here in James. First, it's humble. It says that in verse 13, that it's humility that comes from wisdom. The second is that we see here in verse 17 that it is pure that is peace-loving, that it is gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy, full of the fruits of good deeds, shows no favoritisms, and always is sincere. So when it comes to humility, I have a couple questions. Would you be okay if the things that you did went unnoticed? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if the things that you did went unnoticed? Are you hoping that the accomplishment of others are recognized over your own? It's pure. And this is not sexual purity. This is more of like inward purity as far as um, sin, not defiling your life. Do you search inward in areas of your life and ask Jesus, what does not look like you in my life? Are you quick to look at your own issues and the ways that you can grow to be better instead of looking at how others can grow and the issues that others have? Third, it's peace loving. Do you pursue peace in your conversations and those that you're in conflict with? Would you rather win the person or win the argument? It's gentle at all times. Are you reasonable and kind with people at first? Before you know them, are you reasonable and kind? Are you patient with those who are struggling? Do you give swift justice to people or do you make allowance for their faults? Because that's how you would like to be treated. Willing to yield to others. And this isn't just opening the door for everybody or making sure everybody goes ahead of you at stop signs but do you defer your rights and your entitlement and your strength and power for the benefit of other people? I think about how this operates in the family. Husbands, do you you lay your life down? Do you leverage your strength, your plans, your power, your ability for for your wife and for the benefit of your family? Wives, and just, you know, I got this from Lainey. This was not something that... I'm just going to let her speak to you guys through me. I'm just the conduit. I'm just the messenger. Don't throw stones. Uh, Are you willing to yield your need to control your husbands for their benefit and the benefit of your family? Are you full of mercy? Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to show mercy? Do you recognize your need for mercy and then give it to others? full of the fruits of good deeds? Do you see God working in your life because of what he's doing in your heart? 
Can someone point to your life and say, yes, you follow Jesus, and I can see that by the way that you live. It shows no favoritism. Do you break down all barriers in your mind that would differentiate you from someone else who is made in the image of God? Or is there distance between you and somebody else because of something else? Race, ideals, politics, socioeconomic status. Is there something in you that's creating a gap between you and someone that God loves, has been made in his image, and he died for? Do you treat people who can help you move up the same as people who can't or even compete with you? It's always sincere. Do you have hidden motives to your kindness? Do you find your actions and your speech consistent? Or do you have areas of inconsistency? You know, sincere comes from a term that means without wax. And what they would do is if there was cracks in a pot, the uh, dishonest people would put wax on it and would seal through the cracks so it would look like everything was good. It would look like everything's good on the surface, but really there was cracks and there was flaws and there was inconsistencies. Are you, is your life without wax, without pretense? Is it sincere? So I want to call the band up. <clears throat> And I want to just encourage us right now because I, I see that list and I think of all the ways that I'm falling short of heavenly wisdom, of living in a way that's in response to those qualities of heavenly wisdom. But you know what? That's okay. James says we make mistakes. But you know what? We have an opportunity right now to choose life, to choose life through the power of our tongue, to choose life and blessing and building up by the way we live our lives by the way that we love our families, by the way that we treat and love other people. And let's be honest, you would want all those qualities for yourself. Isn't that the type of person you would want to be? Isn't that the type of person you want to marry or be married to? Isn't that the type of person that you want your kids to become? Isn't that the type of person you want your kids to marry? So so what would it look like when we begin to activate our faith by the way we speak, allow the Holy Spirit to control our tongue and allow him to change and shape the way we think so that we live differently, that we live with those qualities, that we don't think about just life here on earth, that we don't just focus on our desires, and that we don't worry about getting ahead or getting fame, or getting significance, or getting the praise of people, but instead we leverage our abilities and benefits for other people because to whom much is given, much is required. What would it look like for our families and our schools and our community and our nation to embrace these things? To genuinely speak truth with love to our enemies to those who disagree with us, to those who are opposed to us, wherever it may be, politically, it doesn't matter. What would it look like to win the person and not the argument? What would it look like to always pour blessing out of our heart through the way that we speak? What would it look like as we turn our thoughts to the wisdom of above and we begin to embody those qualities that we so desire? 
And we live like citizens of heaven. And we focus on what God has in store for us. And we see God has a plan and purpose and he can use us for not only his glory, but for the benefit of so many people. See, heavenly wisdom is about legacy. It's about impact. It's about the kingdom of God moving in and through us to reach a world that needs those type of people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just close this in prayer, and I'm going to just pray that, that the Holy Spirit will give us courage to recognize these places in our lives. Jesus, we need you. God, I, I, Jesus, I want to be more like you. I don't like it when I do those things. I don't like the person that I become when I'm just governed by my own selfish ambition, when I'm jealous of other people, when I only speak truth and not love, and when I speak love is just trying to be sentimental and not really try to give people the truth. Jesus, I want you to change me, and God, I want you to do the same work in all of us because the stakes are high. We have an opportunity to impact our world by the way we live out your life through us. So give us the ability to say yes. Give us, take the reins away from our hands. And Holy Spirit, we give it to you. Change the way we think. Help us focus on the realities of heaven where you are seated, Jesus, and you have authority over all things. God, may we live in a way that reflects that. May we be generous. May people maybe not necessarily believe what we believe, but they say, man, those people love me, and they give so much for me, and I feel like I matter to them. Let us not be idle with our time and idle with our words. Give us the courage to say yes, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.